Masters of Divinity. I am your moderator, JP, and I am here as always with Father Chuck. Hey, real, real quick, you you always say you 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 always say always as always with Father Chuck. But what about those times that I'm not here? Um, have you missed a podcast? I have. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we count our spirits being here as well. So okay. I just, I just, I, it's never, totally clarifying. Okay. Sorry. I and, hijacked your you know, intro. I'm sorry. It's okay. I, I love you. So you're always in my heart. So of course you're always here, Chuck. Oh, it means so much to me, <laughs> JP. It really does. Good. And uh, Matt is not with us this week, but we have uh, replaced him with our good friend, Keelan O'Carroll. Hello, Keelan. Hey, JP. It's good to see you, man. How you doing? Good to see you too, brother. It's been a while. I know. It's great to have you back, brother. Yeah, man. We are... <laughs> apparently, we are not in the Christmas season. That's what I learned. That's right. From our, from, our new, uh, from our new follower, the priest Pulse. Right. Uh, that was my bad, but I come from a uh, very commercial evangelical background, so you have to forgive me. Uh, for me and my people, this is the Christmas season. Well, uh, I, I'm making the sign of the cross over you to absolve you of your ignorance. <laughs> Thank you very much, Father Chuck. Uh, but we are getting nearer to Christmas, and we are uh, excited about that. So it is a, a sort of season of anticipation and also Advent, I guess, right? Yes. I mean, well, Advent, Advent is a season of, of anticipation. Uh, okay. That's, As see, I've been I telling my that. congregation, a, one of mm-hmm. joyful anticipation. See, I, I, I know nothing. I'm so ignorant. It's fine. It's fine. Um, so, uh, you know, we're talking about things that sort of relate to Christmas, both from a pop culture standpoint and from a theological standpoint. This week, we've decided to focus on the Blessed Virgin Mary. The BVM. BVM. And um, I've been instructed by Chuck to not title this episode There's Something About Mary. <laughs> That is so, true. That is true. Yeah. I won't do Good that. Call. I won't do that. Are else. we going to go with BVM Dawn of Jesus? Because I think that's a good one. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. That's good. Um, so where do we start with this? Uh, I know we had talked about... Um, You're the moderator, brother. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because um, from my own personal background... Um, you know, Mary is sort of uh, just kind of there. And we respect her. We like her. Um, but there's not a, not, there's not like a, like a above and beyond reverence that we have for the same way that we did have for Jesus or even someone like Paul. I know, Keelan, you kind of sent from a similar background than I do. Uh, you have any thoughts on that? Is it sort of the same mm. for you? I mean, to be, to be fair, real quick. I come from the exact same background as him. Yeah, that's true. I know. <laughs> but you're more learned. So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, to be honest, when I found out we were talking about Mary, I was a little a little nervous because I, I just don't know a whole lot about her. I've never, I don't think I've ever read a book about Mary or. Right there um, with you, brother. Uh, <laughs> and I got to no. moderate this joint. Yeah, so, so I think Chuck is going to take us to school, or should I say church? Ah. Um, uh, on, on, on Mary. So uh, I have some, some questions. Okay. And one of them is Chuck, because you both, you, you do have 
background in evangelicalism, and now you are an Episcopalian priest. Uh, why why is no, there no reverence, do you think, for Mary, or at least the sort of reverence that that's expressed by Episcopal Church? Um, well, I think um, well, I think well, one thing about the Episcopal Church is you find you find a wide variety of opinions on the Blessed Virgin Mary. You don't not all churches have a high view of Mary. Um, okay, but you know that's that's something we work on. Um, I think for from my Baptist background, like Keelan and I grew up in the same church. I don't know if we've mentioned that in previous installments when he's been on here. Um, they know now. But we, 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 Keelan and I know each other for a very long time. Um, but we went to, we grew up in the same church and we were at this, um, we were in a, in a Baptist church that oscillated sometimes between very fundamentalist and sometimes kind of contemporary evangelical Christianity. That'd be a fair statement mm-hmm. there. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but I think the, the the aversion to Mary, because either either the thing you get is either ignorance or just like the willies. Like either you've got people who just they just don't really think about it, care much about it, or you get people who get like really really freaked out and a passionate against talking about Mary. And I would say for those folks, that's rooted in 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 some very some very. Um, deep anti-Catholic sentiment that comes out in evangelical Christianity um, where there's this fear and concern that the Roman Catholic Church, as though the Roman Catholic Church are the only ones who have anything to do with Mary, um, but this concern that the Roman Catholic Church worships Mary. And so they tend... Idolize us. Yeah, and so they kind of go in the opposite direction of it and turn it into... You know, where Mary is just like any any other ordinary human being that, um, I mean, she just she's only important because she gave birth to Jesus, and that's it. And then we don't think much more, talk much more about it than that. And if we do, then you are dangerously close to being a a an awful, terrible Roman Catholic who is bound for hell and damnation. Right. According according are. to them, vain, over the top popery is what they're saying. Popery or popishness, papalism. Too much like the Pope. Is that what we're saying? Yes. Is that- Yo, no, no, not like the dried My flowers. Mom had popery. My mom did too. In our house when I was growing up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't taste very good. No. Um, <laughs> it does not taste as good as it smells. Um, <laughs> You know what? I know there's a story there, but I don't want to ask because I just like I want I want the mystery. I'm very mysterious. <laughs> Keelan, um, what are your thoughts? Do you have any personal thoughts on on the Virgin Mary? Uh, at least, um, have they kind of changed at all? Do you think a lot? Of, do, do you think about it at all? Like now, um, is it something that you kind of learn to revere? Or is it something you just don't think about? I mean, what are your what are your sort of general thoughts? Uh, I think as as I've grown and um, as Chuck and I have had conversations, and um, I've, I've read more. Uh, I, I've definitely developed more of a reverence, and um, I think I just have a, a better understanding of the saints um, than I did growing up, or than what was told to me uh, as I was growing up. Um, so, but like I said, uh, when I found out we were talking about this, that Mary was going to be the topic that. Uh, I was a little nervous because I don't know a whole lot about her. Um, yeah. But I, I did read a, a, a good Advent devotional this morning, uh, which which talked about Mary specifically. Um, oh, really? And 
it, it was good in that it just said uh, basically the premise was that God uses ordinary people. He doesn't generally use uh, exceptional people. He uses regular, everyday people. That's that's sort of her story, yeah. right? That, that's a regular person doing extraordinary things. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, it's a mythic concept. Yeah. I, so if I can weigh in on this, uh, hearing hearing this statement that that Mary is is an ordinary person. I mean, she's ordinary in the sense that she is a just you know she's a human being. She's not like some kind of divine being or anything like that. But I am kind of my response. My 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 kind of reaction to that statement is as I think of what the archangel Gabriel says to her in Luke's gospel when he encounters her and he says, um, his first words are, um, you know, blessed are you among women or, um, you know, blessed are you among all women. There's this sense that of every woman that has ever lived and ever will lived, Mary is something special and that God shows her, you know, cause I mean the words, the words of, um, the words of, of a prayer called the Angelus begins with, Oh, well, I guess I think about it. It's the Hail Mary. It's just the Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. This notion that she is full of grace and is favored, because the word blessed can also mean favored. It is favored among every woman who's ever existed. To me, denotes that she's not ordinary, that she's in fact extraordinary. But I'm not sure what to do with that, because I, I think at the same time, Keelan's correct in that assessment that, the and, 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 and the devotional that he read is, is correct in that, a central factor facet of the Christian faith is that God takes things that are ordinary and makes them extraordinary. And so was Mary ordinary until this moment? I, I, so I, you know, I don't know. It's, well, a, it's a kind of point back to, uh, to your advent, um, devotional that you wrote, um, which, uh, was another one that stood, stood out to me because I think you referenced her breasts. I did. Yes. <laughs> in the advent devotional. So, um, I think to your point, God knew she was extraordinary. She had the grace. She had the will, the uh, obedience to follow through with this. But to other people, she was just Mary. She was just a daughter, a sister, the girl down the street. That's true. Um, so she she wasn't uh, a Mary on the block, if you will. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I, I, I think that there. I mean, there are these um, there are these extra extra biblical books about. The, the, about the life of Mary as a child, and they definitely try to make her into this superhuman character, where she's like, like she's do. I mean, she's just she's just a superhuman person. I mean, you know, she's doing things as an infant that no normal person would do. And and then there's this whole doctrine that comes out of the um, out of the Catholic Church. Um, it's which is actually a, a doctrine that has been a major. Um, source of problems between reconciling the Eastern and Western churches, but it's a whole other conversation, um, is this, is, is what we call the doctrine of the um, immaculate conception, which is where Mary herself was immaculately conceived. She was conceived without sin. Um, and the idea being that she had to be sinless so that Jesus could be born sinless, which to me is just kind of a ridiculous idea because then like her parents would have to be sinless. It goes and it just yeah, kind of uh... starts going all the way back. And and I just, and I just I take issue with that because I think it it goes too far, it goes too far with her. I mean I appreciate what the theologians who con- who construct this stuff or what they're trying to achieve and what they're and everything, but I think that it misses the point um, because I think that she obviously is an extraordinary young woman for God to have chosen her, but 
I think the idea we risk digging it too far and making her. She, we have to remember she is fully human. She's the aspect uh, that she's the she's the aspect that gives God a fully human flesh and blood being in the incarnation. And if she's not fully human, neither is Jesus. And so we have to be very careful around that. I think. Um, so I have a question for you, Chuck. What 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 is it that that made her special? Is it because of her bloodline? Because I've heard stuff about like that. Yeah, I mean, I. That what's interesting is people say this about the bloodline, but if you look at the genealogies and stuff, I mean, I don't think there's really anything like extraordinary about that. I mean, I'd have to look at Luke's gospel. I heard something about like, her being like a descendant of David or something. Uh, well, I understand that's that's supposed to be Joseph, who's a descendant of David. Um, I'm tempted to pull out a Bible and go through the book of Luke's um, <laughs> genealogy, but I won't do that. I think this is the moment where maybe maybe a, maybe a Calvinist can get on board with what I'm about to say. And that is, she's extraordinary because God chose her. She's elect. Oh, okay. She's an elect. She's an elect being. And we... Kind of like Buffy. Sure. <laughs> sure. Well, that, I mean, there's no specific reason as to why she was chosen to be a slayer. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of, they're special because they're chosen. Yeah. And so, I mean, I wonder how much of a Mary is that? I mean, because the thing is, is like, yeah, there are these, there are these medieval and pre-medieval um, stories about Mary that try to account for why she's special. But all that we can rely on is the scriptural witness. And the scripture doesn't ever tell us why. It just tells us she is. And for Luke, that's good enough that she was the one who was chosen um, by God for this purpose. Um, and I will say, here's, here, here's something I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued by with her, with Mary, is there's a theologian by the name of Gerard Laughlin who I really, really like. Um, in his first book, it's called Telling God's Story. Um, and he talks about how there is this whole tradition out there of Christians who want to try in the name of some kind of progressive theological agenda um, in order to sort of liberate the church from superstition and all this other stuff to try to explain that Mary, that Mary was somehow a victim. Um, there's a, there's a, a heretical bishop from the Episcopal Church, <laughs> I have to admit, um, named John Shelby Spong, who believed that Mary was raped by a Roman soldier named Gabriel and that the church and that the church kind of twisted it or whatever. And so he writes in his book, in one of his books that this is how it had to be. Well, Gerard Laughlin directly refutes this and says, you know, that Spong is trying to be, is trying to create a feminist argument here. He says, but for him, he is making Mary completely dependent on men. And that she's a victim of men, and that men are the that she's completely passive in everything, and so that's not a feminist version of the story. He says, really, the feminist version of the story is the story we have in the Bible, where Mary, completely of her own volition and agency, says yes to, to, to whatever God wants of her. Because that's really the great thing is Gabriel appears to her and says God wants to do this thing, and the language seems to indicate that it's sort of up to Mary's consent, in a way. And, and so Mary famously says, let it be, you know, sort of in the course of the song, um, you know, let it be to me according to your word or to, according to God's word. You know, she doesn't go to Joseph to see if he's cool with it. She doesn't go talk to her dad and see if it's okay. She doesn't, she doesn't consult with any men or women or anyone for that matter. She, as a, as a, as a, as a fully real, as a, as a realized human being makes her own decision as a woman she makes her own decision and she chooses to accept what it is that god wants and so laughlin argues that's the 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 traditional understanding of the story is the more feminist understanding of the story and that any time any attempt to change that diminishes diminishes mary 
and what it is that she represents in the story and what she represents for women and other things, which I think is a very interesting read on it. How important is it that she is a virgin? Is, it, is, is the whole belief and our faces some sort of hinged upon that about her? She's a virgin? Keelan. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a hard pass on that one. <laughs> uh, you have to think about that for a bit. I think her virginity in the sense of Jesus's birth is important because, one, it, it really underscores the miraculous work that God is doing. There's also an innocence aspect to it. I mean, the idea that she's a the, – the reason – and probably the reason where we get the idea that she's a virgin comes from um, a, a Greek translation of – a Hebrew passage where in Isaiah that prophesies that a young maiden will be found with child. And so there's this sense that her virginity is somehow related to her youthfulness and innocence as a person, which in a way kind of relates to what, where Adam and Eve were before they ate the, before they ate the fruit in a state of innocence. Okay. And so God comes to her in that state. And there's this whole, there's this whole longstanding Christian tradition of seeing um, Mary as sort of the, as Eve sort of corrects what Eve does in the garden and all this stuff. But anyway, so I think that the virginity aspect is important in that there, it leaves no room for doubt that this is a miraculous happening. And also that God becomes incarnate without there having to be any kind of sexual encounter because it's the birth of Jesus. The, the, the conception and birth of Jesus is not about sexual is not about sex at all. People want to try to make it about sex they try to make it like God somehow had sex with Mary or whatever. And that's not the point of it. The point is that God willfully took on flesh and he goes through the entire process of a human life from birth through death. And so God becomes a full human in Jesus Christ. Um, and so the virginity underscores that it's, the, that it's solely the work of God. Now, that being said, there is this tradition throughout the Eastern like Orthodox churches all, and, and others that want to maintain that Mary was a virgin for her entire life. In fact, in the Orthodox church, they refer to her as, um, as ever virgin the blessed ever virgin. And I, that, that to me has always been kind of weird um, because I tend to think that her and Joseph had a, a pretty normal and happy marriage. The Bible talks about Jesus having brothers and sisters. And there's this whole tradition out there that Joseph was an older man who had children from a previous marriage. whose wife died and he recognized the importance of who Mary was and brought her into his. But I just don't feel like the Bible story supports that theory. I, the Bible story, especially in Matthew, jo, Joseph seems to be this guy who's he's, he, he's a young man who's in love with this woman, and this is his wife, and, or this woman who's going to be his wife. And to me, it just yields to that imagery, not to some other kind of thing. And, I, and so I think it has more to do with this sort of Grecian uh, uneasiness with sex and sexuality. Um, to, to have to hold on to Mary as being perpetually vir a virgin for the rest of her life. Um, I mean, I just, I just think that I think that's another one of those things where it just goes too far. Yeah, I think so too. Actually, yeah, I think it's not bad. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm a big nerd, and um, I, I, I don't know if I can really talk about the Virgin Mary without talking about Sarah Connor. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, do, do, do you see any traits in Sarah Connor that you see like in, in, in Mary like uh, is there kind of more to it except for like just the fact that she gave birth to like a quote unquote savior I mean did, did Mary do 
make like pull-ups in himself. Fire <laughs> 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 a shotgun. Fashion the shotgun. Well, I mean, I, I'm glad you bring this up, JP, because, and I, I mentioned this when we were first starting to talk about that this is where we were wanting to go with this, with this um, episode today. Um, is there's this literary um, trope um, that that's carried over into other forms of, of storytelling media, where women are sort of cast, women female characters are cast in one of two roles: they're either the Virgin Mary or they're Mary Magdalene the whore. And oh, right. Yeah, and so this idea of of having to sort of cast people in that role is just a very interesting conversation in pop culture. And I think we could – I've been thinking actually a lot about Star Wars, so we could go in that direction if we want. But um, but I think like – Speaking of which, I'm totally seeing it tonight. I know. Robot, baby. But um, you, you have to tell us how uh, – what's her face? Um, Ro Laren, is that her name? What is Ro Laren? What is that for? Oh, that's oh my gosh, that's Ensign Ro from Star Trek: The Next Generation. Okay, dude, what is wrong with you? <laughs> um, I'm a bad nerd. Whoa. Um, but anyway, um, you, but you've been thinking about Star Wars, you said. Yeah, you'll have to tell me if she, if if she's a if she's a Virgin Mary type. Um, okay. But anyway, we can talk about that. We'll if we and I'm, I'm sure you're going to want to talk about that. And I know Keelan's going to want to talk about Star Wars. So. Um, <laughs> But for the Sarah Connor question, I think – I mean I really think that um, that James Cameron really was kind of contrived in that because like, oh, John Connor, JC, Jesus Christ. and <laughs> Or maybe he was just trying to match his own name. I'm sure with his ego, probably. And I think it was just sort of like he just wanted to fit pieces together to kind of be like, see, hey, like nudge people in the elbow. Hey, see, see what I'm doing here? I will say Sarah Connor in the first Terminator movie fits more of a Madonna. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I, yeah. Of a sort of Madonna because she's an innocent. Right. She's a normal person. She's a normal person. She's a yeah, she's a normal person. She's a waitress. And I guess what's kind of interesting about it is she learns about all of the, she, she, her, the Annunciation scene, right? The famous scene of Mary is you know Gabriel appearing and announcing her that she's going to give birth to the Savior. The Annunciation happens with Kyle Reese, who later becomes the father of the Savior. So that's kind of a weird thing, right? That yeah. Um, so is. Kyle Reese is like both Joseph and the angel Gabriel. It's it's a weird thing. I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about it more, it might actually be richer than I've given Joseph. Joseph Campbell. That's what I was going to say, Joseph Campbell. James Cameron <laughs> credit for. But at the same time, I don't know. It just seems so like – it also seemed kind of well, – I'm sure Joseph Campbell has a lot to say. I'm sure he does. So one of the things that kind of fascinated me in that is that evangelicals in pop culture have often, have often one, felt absent or misrepresented. But the other is is that so many filmmakers, when they do draw on stuff about Christianity, they are looking more at Catholicism than they are other forms of Christianity. And – because of that, they're inserting all kinds of stuff about Mary and all this Catholic imagery that evangelicals and Baptists are just not going to catch because it's just not part of their cultural experience. Like, it has to be pointed out. It's like it's, it's the kind of stuff that – like, I remember um, if Matt were here, we, we could talk more about the, the J.R.R. Tolkien class that we took in college. And he can complain again about how he didn't get a good grade and, and all this nonsense. But um, on this one paper because of the death of the author and all this nonsense. Anyway, but I remember that our buddy Scott Guild – we all remember Scott. Um, yeah. This guy, Scott – um, sorry, if, if, if Scott, if you're somehow listening, I'm sorry for for naming you without your permission. I guess. Um, anyway, he uh, he was super Catholic, 
And he did uh, he did his final paper on all of the merry illusions in the Lord of the Rings because Tolkien was Catholic, so naturally they're going to appear. And it was just, I was being I remember being fascinated by that because I kind of wanted to poke fun at it and be like, well, you're you're Catholic, so of course you're going to talk about Mary. But there was also this sense that well, he knew to look for that, like he would he would recognize that. I wasn't going to recognize that at the time because I didn't know anything. And so there's a there's an element of it where I wonder how much of these stuff is just flying over our heads because we're just unfamiliar with it all. And there's this assumption that we ought to know about it. But anyway, it was just a thought. Is Mary a Mary Sue? That's a really good question. <laughs> do you, do you uh, know what a Mary I, Sue I, is, Keelan? I do not. Keelan does not know what a Mary, Mary Sue is. Want to, want to fill yeah, us in, you JP? Know, to be honest, I don't even I don't even really understand it to be to, be, to begin with. All I know is that it's just it's a girl who's great at everything. That's I mean that's what they what they tell me. Well, that's what I get from it, and I don't particularly see anything wrong with that since we have your Spider Man's and James Bond. So I don't I don't understand why women can't also be awesome at everything. Well, the the history of the Mary Sue is is rooted in Star Trek fan fiction. Where uh, I think it was Starlog magazine that used to publish it. Um, yeah. Where um, I think one of the famous examples was a woman who they, she wrote a character called Mary Sue, like Lieutenant Mary Sue or something. I could be wrong on that, but there was a character called Mary Sue in, or they were called Mary Sue stories or whatever. And it was this fictional character who would accompany a fictional female character who would accompany them, who would sort of be there alongside Bones and Spock and Kirk. And like, never like was never like wrong. Was never in need of reprimand, and always sort of like served kind of Deus ex machina roles that would always solve the problems and just always do that. And so that this has grown into this criticism of female characters being of there being certain female characters that like they're just awesome at everything constantly. Yeah, a lot of the, like the, Wesley the Crusher. Criticism. Yeah, the big criticism these days, Keelan, would be it's Ray from Star Wars. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think Ray is married. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, because she kind of, she basically, I mean, she she basically accomplishes everything like Luke can accomplish with mm-hmm. all the training. So. Yeah. Which, to be fair, Luke had like six minutes of training in all of the Star Wars trilogy <laughs> to become yeah, like yeah. a master Jedi. They want some contrived reason that they, don't just do it out of blue. But then I don't know. Then I'm bringing up Spider Man. Like, oh, well, that's different, right? Hmm, maybe a little sexism in there. A little bit. But uh, it's, it's an interesting question, and I'm, and I'm wondering, too, is, is perhaps Mary Sue itself a reference to the Virgin Mary? Because I, I can't think that the name's not accidental. You know what I mean? That you, there's a reason why you use Mary than any other name in this conversation. And so, you know, the idea of Mary being this perfect be uh, this sort of perfect person... I don't know. I don't know. So I'm just wondering if the Mary Sue is sort of derived from that idea. But yeah, it's, it's all speculation. Okay. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, su- I'm such at a loss of this, to- uh, this topic, uh, Chuck, and I, it really is because um, not that I, I don't have any reverence for, you know, uh, Mary and what she represents. It's because I'm just ignorant. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I mean, I probably could talk about this a lot more because I've, you know, I sort of had a conversion experience of sorts toward the Virgin Mary. How so? I... So, so as I mentioned before, I grew up. Chuck, did, did, did she appear to you in French coat? <laughs> <laughs> no, 
No, it was it was a pancake. Um, <laughs> no, I um, no. The thing is, is like, you know, I grew up again. I grew. Keelan and I both grew up in this really, you know, kind of somewhat hostile to Catholicism world. And I, my first real girlfriend was was Roman Catholic. And when I kind of tried to stop converting her, I went to church with her. And I was a complete jerk about her Catholicism a lot, like a lot. Um, but you know, there's there are things that I learned through that stuck with me later on in life. Um, but I, um, the things that really changed for me were a couple of things. One, um, studying a lot of church history and learning that as far back as the church has gone, Mary has played an important role in the liturgies and in the traditions of the church. And that one of the earliest titles given for Mary is that of Theotokos, which is the Greek, Greek phrase that means, um, that means, um, God bearer. And this idea of her being seen as mother of God, which I think is just a, it used to give me, like, used to make me uneasy, but I think it's just a really kind of profound and powerful idea that because, I mean, it just makes sense that if God became incarnate through Jesus Christ and Jesus' mother is Mary, then that means God has a mother. And that's just a weird, that's just a weird thing. Uh, I'm sort of intrigued by that weirdness. Um, but another, um, but two other things that were big for me were, um, Reading the book of Revelation, there's a passage in the book of Revelation that talks about a woman who stands on the moon and she has the stars for a crown on her head. And when you read this passage, um, and I almost went over to my bookshelf to grab my copy of the message because it was in the message version of Revelation where I first read it. It just really stood out to me. I was like, oh, this is Mary. Like it was just, I, it just oh, this is Mary. It was just this very beautiful celestial image of Mary and this very like, you know, mystical thing. And it was like, oh, it's in the book of Revelation. It's in the Bible. Like this isn't just something that people invented outside the Bible. Like it's in our Bible. And that just really, like, that, that was something that really struck me and kind of got me interested into looking, you know, kind of studying the traditions around Mary and stuff again. And then eventually in seminary, um, I hung out with a bunch of um, Anglo-Catholics. Um, the Anglo-Catholic movement is a, a, group of, a group of Episcopalians who are really into what we call high church practices, incense, bells, chanting, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of you know, pre-Reformation type things. And, um, and one of my, and so... We would, um, after Evensong on Tuesday nights at seminary, which is chanted evening prayer, um, we would, a few of us would stay after and um, we would pray the Angelus, which is um, a, a prayer. Um, it, it involves the Hail Mary and all this kind of stuff, but it's a Marian prayer. Actually, I have the, the card for it right here. I'm holding it right here. Um, is that your redemption card? <laughs> no, no, this is, no, it's a prayer card. Prayer card. Redemption card's over here. Oh, okay. um, I actually have it right next to St. Isidore. I have a St. Isidore prayer card. St. Isidore is the patron saint of the internet. But anyway, so it was like, so through that, like learning the Hail Mary and all that, like, I don't know, just through the practices and stuff, I just became very enamored with who Mary was and the role that she's played in the Christian faith and the idea of her being, you know, sort of in some ways an embodiment of what I do as a priest because she brings Christ to the world and then she invites the world to Christ. That whole parallel and that whole imagery there is something that's really that's really stuck with me. And um like I said, I think there's some traditions of it that go really that go really far. But like I mean, if like fifteen year old or sixteen year old me were to meet thirty four year old me, I'd probably punch myself in the mouth. Um because I'd be so weirded out by the fact that one, I'm a priest of all things, but the, the other is is like, oh now you're saying the Hail Mary, now you're like praying to Mary, like what the hell happened to you? Um and then I'd have to say, hey, you're wearing 36-inch Jinkos and three chain wallets, so shut up. 
have frosted tips. I did have frosted tips. They were pretty sweet. No, they weren't. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember when I used to wear that no fear hat? It was like it looked. It was like a baseball cap, but it had no. It had no bill. It was just like it was like an Alex Mack hat. No, I don't. Oh, maybe you're in Pakistan at this I time. Probably would have smacked you though. Yeah, sounds pretty awful. My pride and joy though were my um, were my um, 36 inch leg cream colored corduroy jinkos. Yeah, done. Yes, son. Yeah. Wow. With a chain wallet that had three chains on it. <laughs> three. Three. One of which hung down below my knee. Uh, extra security. <laughs> what is Marion to do with Star Wars? Chuck, is there some? There's something that uh, you, you have found. Well, as we were as we were initially talking about this topic yesterday, and, and starting to kind of hammer, you know, joke about a couple things or whatever, I started thinking about this literary trope of, you know, Madonna and whore, you know, mm-hmm. diet. And I realized, like, for some reason, I thought of Princess Leia, and I realized Princess Leia does not fit into either of those. No, she doesn't. For, and that, I don't think that's on purpose. I think that is on purpose. Too. Yeah, I mean, I think. Well, I, you know, I, I wonder how much of it is, you know, Lucas drawing from Kurosawa's, you know, stuff as, you know, as well as serials and things. But, like, he's clearly not going into this religious thing with her, at least in the first Star Wars, you know. And she's a very interesting character, right? Because she's cast initially as a damsel in distress, but then she almost immediately, like, one, she doesn't really have romantic relationships with either Luke or Han in the movie. She insults so. both of them. Um, the first time that, like, her rescuer shows up, She's not like, oh, my prince. She's like, aren't you a little short to be a stormtrooper? And then she gets impatient with Han, and she steals a blaster from him and starts shooting people. I mean, you know, she's... she's she's She has a job to do. She's on a mission the entire movie. Right. Even when she's captured, she's on a mission. Right. Like, you know, so she's a very different... So she doesn't fit into that trope. But then... I, I kind of thought the rest of the trilogy, she doesn't really fit into any of that either. Um, I mean, she starts becoming a little more like, you know, a love interest type by the time you get to Return of the Jedi. Yeah. But these Empire is definitely a, a, a relationship. Yeah. A story between her and Han. And then Return is like, I, I don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know where they're going. But then Force Awakens comes along and I'm thinking, she's kind of, she's kind of the Virgin Mary you think in the so? Force Awakens. Yeah. I mean, both her and Rey are kind of the Virgin Mary in, 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 in the Force Awakens. Um, and I say that because, I mean, particularly with Leia, Leia is very chaste in The Force Awakens. Like, one of the things that bugs me, and it probably bugs me even more than her not hugging Chewbacca after, spoiler alert, Han's death, is that she never kisses Han in the movie. They never kiss, and that bugs me that they never kiss because they're, they're you know they're in love with each other. They're a husband and wife. Well, they're not they're not they're not together anymore. It, though. it doesn't matter. Like they they hint that there's still a spark, and they don't indulge, and that bothers me. So they let so Leia becomes kind of chaste, and then there's this there's that moment when um, also spoiler alert, um, Kylo Ren kills Han, which is their son, and I guess like Kylo Ren is sort of like the anti Jesus in this, um, but. You know, it made me think so that when, when, when Han dies, um, Leia, you know, clearly feels it. She experiences it through her force connection or whatever. She, she recognizes that Han has died. Right. And it made me think of um, what St. Simeon says in, in the New Testament, how, um, or is it Anna? One of the, Anna, um, Anna the prophetess, who says to Mary in the temple after Jesus is born that um, a, a sword will pierce your heart also. 
And so that there's that like moment where she feels the pain of loss, and like I don't know, she starts getting. I, I, I don't know. I feel like in the Force Awakens, she gets cast a little more in, along that traditional role of of playing into that kind, and she's very matronly, um, which is fine because she's you know she's an older woman, and they're kind of working on that, I guess. But she's, she's the general. and she's the general. Um, but I don't know. There's just that kind of I don't know. I just kind of got some more of a more of a Mary and vibe from her in that movie than than I did in the other Star Wars movies. And then Ray kind of has that, you know, she has an enunciation scene because BB-8 sort of announces her, you know, announces that things are happening, sort of motivates her to have something happen and whatever. I don't know. I like The Force Awakens. That movie's a mess, but I like that movie. Um, and don't even get me st- and don't even get me started on George Lucas's nonsense with Anakin Skywalker's mom and her virgin birth crap in The Phantom <laughs> oh, Menace. The, yeah, the, the, there is a literal Mary in Star Wars, and I, I guess that would be Shmi. Shmi. Is that really her name? Yeah, you didn't know that. Like the person from Hook? Yeah. (laughs) No, that's Smee. This is Shmi. S-C-H-M-I. Shmi Skywalker. That's right. I totally forgot about that. You guys forgot about Shmi? Bro, I've tried to forget (laughs) all of that movie. Yeah, she she had the virgin birth. I mean, she 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 says in in the movie she she conceived him. That's it. Right. The the midichlorians formed him in her. Well, there is a theory that Darth Plagueis uh, used the Force to manipulate Metaclorians into. Well, there is actually a deleted scene where Palpatine says he did it. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so they actually filmed it and then cut it. Well, his name is Sheev. What? His name is Sheev. Who's Sheev? Emperor Palpatine. Sheev Palpatine? Yeah, dude. <laughs> Sheev and Shmi? Wow. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Wow, George Lucas really uh, needed his ex-wife around because <laughs> she made she she's what, fit, what made Star Wars a comprehensible and enjoyable thing. Uh, yeah. yeah, I. Keelan, uh, you look like he has something to say. Would it have been better if Disney had owned the rights <laughs> back then? Would he have had less control? I mean, I, I think. Um, Can we hope that Disney will remake the prequels? That won't happen. Yeah. I know. I know this. This, this episode is to be about Mary, but I've had like a lot of thoughts about Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've been, hey, I've been it feels. You know, I'm glad you said this here because in a way, it's it's like church, right? Like I'm yeah. up there, and you know, there are there are times. Well, I'll, not so much when I was a, when I, now that I'm a priest, but definitely when I was a parishioner, there were those times where like you're in church and you're really wanting to have like a holy moment, but then all of a sudden, yeah. like something pops in your head that's just like. Man, Iron Man was an awesome movie. You know, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm like, I'm like on the edge of my seat, guys. I'm seeing this movie in just a couple of hours. I know, and you've got lots of Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I can, yeah, I, we uh, can, we can, we can, we can diminish that hype for you a little bit and, and talk about and talk more about the Phantom Menace and all the prequels and how terrible <laughs> they are and how they make absolutely no sense. Like, okay. Uh, I, well, I mean, here's the thing. I was thinking this. So I was thinking actually earlier today about this about about Shmi. Shmi Skywalker? Yeah. Is that, Shmi Skywalker. This is really her name. Okay. Why did, why did Lucas even bother to have a virgin birth narrative? Why? What is the point of that? What, it's, what well, purpose because, does it serve? Because, it doesn't because, have any weight for the rest of the series. Because Anakin is a messiah figure. But, yeah, but, but, but what's he... I, I understand that, but like... Okay, like... Now, I've not read Dune Messiah, so I'm speaking a little bit out of turn, but I know a little bit about what Dune Messiah is about, right? It's like... 
the narrative of Dune and Dune Messiah is is about the rise of Muad'Dib as a as a messianic figure, and then the sequel to it is sort of about like why mess, why messiahs are a bad idea or whatever, or like how messiah figures can like fail people. And so, like, I gather that that's sort of what Lucas wanted to do with the prequels was set up this idea of this promised chosen person and then just have, like, all that hope dashed. But it's never successful or effective that that's what's being – that that's what's happening. Yeah, I agree. It's better as a Luke story than it is a Darth Vader story. I don't like it as a whole. It's a Darth Vader story. I'm not but it, but it, even then, it's just like if you're going to if you're gonna reference Jesus, really do something with that. It's not like, all he's being is like it's it's, it's kind of like the comment I made about um, James Cameron. Right? It's like, hey, hey, look, hey, man, hey, look, I, I, there's a Jesus reference here. See, he's he's important because <laughs> like Jesus, yep. See, he's like Jesus, and so therefore you got to pay attention to this. This is this is you know how you know he's a chosen guy because like Jesus. You know who I think did it right in, in creating their own Messiah? The, the Matrix, uh, the Wachowskis, but yeah, totally. Because I um, I've been reading a lot of interviews. I, I read a lot of interviews and stuff, and I, I listened to the, to the commentary. Matrix trilogy. Wow. uh, (laughs) Oh, but uh, okay. First of all, the people that do the commentary is like Cornell West. Oh, right. That's right. It's like a. It's like it's like (laughs) taking a philosophy class. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, It really blew my mind. But the way they they talk about Neo is is like he's a new kind of messiah because he's the first messiah to be wholly human. He's like a human messiah. Not human in the same way that Jesus is, because Jesus loved the world. Neo can't love the world. He doesn't love the world. But he does love Trinity, who sort of represents the world. Nope. So he's he's he, okay. he's mostly looking out for her. But by doing that, he's sort of saving the world. That's the kind of messiah he is. He's, he's a he's a human messiah. He's a just a just a guy. That makes sense. <laughs> Am I explaining it okay? I mean, I I, I guess, but like he like he like flies and does kung fu and stuff so like in the in the matrix i know that so it's like so but like in the real world he's like just like a dude but he's only right. but he's only a messiah in the real world because of what he does in the matrix and what he does in the but matrix is not real it's fake but it, it's it the way they describe they're kind of define the, the the messiah is is love for humanity okay right? Maybe and Neo doesn't love him. He can't. He's incapable of doing that. Like because because none of us can't do that, right? Like the way Jesus did, or, or, or like any other kind of messianic. Thing. I don't know if we can go anywhere with this, but uh, one kind of a, a prevalent thought for me this Advent season um, has been how we try to sanitize everything. Ooh, and you know Mary's journey was painful it was dirty it was she was on the back of a donkey traveling you know while uh, she's uh, nearing the end of her her pregnancy um they're held up in a barn or a cave somewhere uh where it's dirty um might be damp um but uh it, it just her experience wasn't a, a pleasant one right and so i think so often we try to uh clean clean it up sanitize it and uh, especially during the christmas season you know we everybody's joyful everybody's happy hey let, let's you know you're more willing to lend a helping hand and you know you're giving gifts and all this stuff um but we forget about the 
the pain um, that has to go along with life. I mean, the uh, the shepherds in the fields were uh, awake at night, making sure that wolves or other animals weren't coming in to attack their flocks. Uh, so they were on guard, watching out for danger. Um, you know, so so the whole uh, the whole story kind of hinges on uh, this experience that is just rough, uh, and out of that comes something beautiful out of that comes uh peace um but the the peace isn't without the um the the pain or the suffering yeah yeah it's into it's into the painful and even mundane aspects of our world that god comes yeah i mean i think it's it is it is interesting that regardless of what so um so something that was really eye-opening to me um, was when I went to when I went to the Holy Land several years back. And we went to Nazareth, and when you go to Nazareth and you get to see some of the excavation of people's homes and stuff, there are caves everywhere. And our guide was telling us that, based off of all the evidence they have about Nazareth, it was a very small community. And it was a poor community. People couldn't actually afford to build houses, so they lived in caves. They had settled into this hillside, this rocky hillside, and lived in caves. So, one, so Jesus was probably raised in a cave, which is pretty crazy. Um, But it it all underscores the fact that Mary and Joseph were not people of means. They were... You know, Joseph was probably away from home a lot. Um, the, the, the nearby um, Nazareth is a, is a metropolitan city called Sephoris that was, a, that was a Roman city that was built during the time of Jesus. So they think that Joseph, you know, being a, a laborer type, was over there. G- uh, Jesus probably went with him when he was old enough to work. Um, but these are people not of means. And so, yeah, like you're saying, Keelan, like, you know, we refer to Mary as the queen of heaven and, you know, the bearer of God and all this stuff. But she wasn't a queen she wasn't a royal person you know where she would have been able to have some form of comfort in delivering a child and then you know you know she probably delivered this child on like the stool that someone used to milk a cow you know she wasn't laying in a bed or you know being you know she was probably attended to by a midwife um but which is probably a family member even joseph's mom Mm -hmm. but yeah and you always see jesus wrapped in this these white uh cloths and really there's just like there, there would have been just pieces of yeah ra- uh, ripped of, random pieces you know, rags and yeah. things um, that they wrapped old old the cl- pieces of old clothing yeah. Yeah. Yep. and not to mention the fact that uh, they had to flee uh, and they were refugees yep don't even get me started on that <laughs> <laughs> yes if any of you follow Keelan on Twitter you'll know Keelan's feelings on refugees he's very passionate it's good we need that it's true we do no people people aren't but it's true. Jesus, Jesus was, there was a refugee. They were fleeing oppression. Do you have a favorite place where Mary has shown up, Chuck? Uh, Actually, uh, no, not Mary. I, I have one, one of Jesus. Oh, oh, wait, no, I do have one of Mary. Yeah. Well, where did this come from? First of all, like what, 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 what kind of started? Was it really just people say like, oh, I saw Mary in a cloud. I saw Mary in my mattress. Uh, I mean, is it, is it called a periodola where you like recognize things in shapes? I guess so. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. 
um, where it started, but that people have definitely, I mean, there's traditions around, you know, icons and churches weeping and stuff like that. I guess that's kind of how it started. It was manifestations of things like that. And then people started seeing like, you know, there's a, like even recently there's a, um, there was a church, a Greek church where they removed icons from a wall when they were doing some work and that they found that the images of the icons had been somehow imprinted on the wall behind and they can't really explain how that happened. And that's been deemed a miracle by some people. So maybe it started with that kind of practice and then it turned into, you know, seeing her in toast and, you know, your eggs. eggs. There was this great story. um, It's always breakfast. Yeah. Well, there was this great story in um, Florida where, so it was a guy. So this guy like walks out of his house and he looks on his, the, the, the wall of his neighbor's house and he sees on his neighbor's wall, like a mildew pattern that looks like the Virgin Mary. The neighbor is not Catholic. So the guy whose house it is, is not Catholic, but the guy who sees it is. And so like, anyway, so like all these pilgrims start showing up and like bishops come to verify and everything. And like the whole time, the guy who lives next door is like, I just want to paint over this because like, why are all these people coming and looking at the wall of my house? I think it happened like in Tampa or something back in the nineties. Very interesting. I think there's a, there's a movie based on that. You might be right. Uh, Luke Wilson. Yeah. And actually, yeah, maybe I, I, now that I think about it, I'm hoping that I'm not thinking of a fictional movie as being a true story. But I think How many Catholics story. are there in the world? How many Catholics are there yeah. in the world? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, Several like, million? Like, at least? Carry the right. one. Several hundred million. So if, if we made a Blessed Virgin Mary waffle maker, <laughs> would they have them? They also have toasters. Oh, they always get to it first. They also have toasters that like printer on there. Wait, really? You know, you know yeah. what they don't have? Shmi waffle makers. <laughs> There's your calling, brother. That's your calling is. in life. <laughs> I don't see Mary in my French toast, but I see Shmi Skywalker. Gosh, I you know every time we talk about this kind of stuff, I really I I, I want so badly for us to have like a Masters of Divinity loot crate, or like even a shop on our website where we can just sell all the weird stuff like. You know, like like redemption cards and like copies of a thief in the night and like I don't know, I don't know what else we would have in our loot in our loot crate. You know, Mary Mary waffle makers and stuff. I think we'd be fun. Late nineties Christian CDs. Late nineties Christian. Oh yeah, some tooth and nail records. And early and mid nineties BBC recordings. Keelan knows. Keelan's working at a Christian bookstore, so he knows. Good times. Oh. Um, wow. He's on the front lines. But so, did you sell, did you sell a lot of? Uh, a lot of Celtic rings, hearts on them. Are you talking about? Oh, he's not wearing my, it. I don't have my clot on today. You talking about that? That one, the hand. Clot ring. Clot ring. The, the, the oh. Buffy ring. Yeah, that's his wedding band. No, it's not. That's oh. not Christian enough. No. no. Oh. Probably had WWJD rings or something. Yeah, you want that? You wanted that like that like thick band that was like sterling silver that had like a cross etched out of it. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Yeah, so. I do it. Or nice. it was like made yes. of like an old roofing nail or something. <laughs> <laughs> you reminded me of talking about Thief in the Night. We should, we need to do a commentary of that movie. Yes, that'd be so much fun. Gosh, I, I bet we could sell that. Oh yeah, or just yeah, do it as a download. Like a that's what we should do. We should do that. We should do like Blu-ray. We should we should record commentaries on and put them on like iTunes, so you can like yeah. download them and listen to them while you watch. Really garbage Christian movies, <laughs> like Thief in the Night, 
Judas Project. Oh yeah. Oh gosh. Well, that that one you talked about two episodes ago, the one about the girl who had like a tumor that allowed her to touch people and they became saved. Oh oh oh! Now now you see now me. you see what? me. I couldn't. You didn't watch that trailer? No. Oh my gosh. Oh. I I I could barely get. I couldn't get through it. I couldn't get through the trailer. Speaking of, do you see any Mary in that character, Chuck? Do you? No, I do not actually. <laughs> you didn't see that? No. You didn't hear that? And so JP looked at this movie. This 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 ballet dancer. The previous is just like a ballet dancer, right? Yeah, yeah, and the the the, the trailer kind of walks you through like the whole thing. It looks, by the way, it was filmed on like a circa nineteen ninety eight Sony camcorder. Freak, uh, freaking vampires looks better. Yeah, it really did. Yeah, much nicer camera for freaking vampires. By the way, listeners, you don't know what we're talking about. Freaking vampires was the uh, movie that GP started making about vampires, starring yours truly and JP himself. And uh, we ended up just cutting it down to a trailer and putting it on YouTube, which I don't think it's on YouTube anymore. Not anymore. It's gone. It's a shame. Aww. Or one out, um, but um, but no. So 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 we're rehashing an old episode. Sorry, long time listeners. Um, but um, no. So the the plot is is this 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 girl who's a ballet dancer. She's diagnosed with some kind of tumor, but she finds that if she like touches people or talks with people, I think it's just talks with people that like they have a vision of Jesus on yeah. the cross and are immediately like compelled to be born again. And so this is like a Christian. Oh yeah. Film. Yeah. And so then, like, the devil starts trying heretical? to chase her. Yeah. It's totally <laughs> heretical. But then yeah, Satan shows up, and sure. Satan is, like, a white dude with spiky hair wearing a black trench coat who's, like, chasing her around. And the whole deal is uh, she's she's trying to broadcast on, like, Times Square so yeah. that, like, everyone who, like, everyone in the world can see what she has to say, and they'll get saved. <laughs> she'll say it again. She'll, she'll, That's what Jesus did. Right. Yeah, it's pretty messed up. Yeah, she's doing what Jesus did because okay. Jesus' well, sacrifice is not, not, not Jesus' sacrifice is not effective unless you know you, well, you no. compel people through tracks and stuff to say some prayer because God well, is the, limited. The difference, it's such a nonsense. The difference, the difference, Keelan, is that when she touches you, you are saved. Like there's no mm-hmm. choice in the matter. There's no free will. It's oh, like, so, oh, I'm saved. So it's Calvinist. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So. Sure. Like I said, heretical. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice, <laughs> boom. Chuck, if you can't get to the trailer, I doubt you'll get to them. Oh, bro, I yeah, I know, I know, I know for a fact there might be enough alcohol that could get me through the movie. What's great about it is that the girl, the guy, the guy that plays the girl's father is also the writer and the director, the producer, and the editor. He looks nothing like her. It's um, pretty awesome, but like he totally puts himself front and center. He's always wearing like leather jackets and stuff. He's like a cool dad, you know, like. Oh gosh, it's such a it's like a, it's like a, it's like a dad movie in a way. So I, I I believe that's all the time we have this week, guys. I guess uh, uh, join us next week. Where? Um, well, actually, are we going to do next week? Because I believe next week is basically Christmas. They, uh, okay, don't join us next week. I guess. I mean, I'm I'm fine <laughs> with recording next week. I just didn't know if that's when we wanted to do or not. I am. I, I'm. I'm okay with it. Let's too. do it. Uh, all right. Let's record. Let's do all it. right. We'll talk about gremlins. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Join us next week. We'll talk about gremlins. I don't know. I think there's maybe a Virgin Mary, Phoebe Cates. I don't know. Probably not. Probably not. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Father Chuck, for, for being You're here. You're Thank you, Keelan, for also being Thanks here. Thanks for having me. And this is your moderator, JP, saying 
good journey. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And 